excited. I've been anticipating this. Uh, I, I missed the Friday night session, uh, but have heard so many reports, including from my wife, about um, how significant her message is. You should also know that uh, last, I mean, maybe the beginning of this year, just before we announced the name change, we knew about, in our heart, but Mariana didn't, she was prophesying you know, Maranatha over our church. Uh, and so... Uh, there's so much we love about her ministry and about her connections to people that we love. It's, it is family that we're, it just makes me, you know, have a lot of anticipation. Um, but I want Marianne Lewis to give an introduction because of the depth of relationship that Marianne has. So Jeff, Marianne, Mariana, and then wherever the Lord, Maranatha. So. So most of you know that Stephen and I lived in Israel for about 15 years, and the last nine years we lived in the southern part of Israel, near what, what we say in American, Be'er, Be'er Sheba. We say in Hebrew, Be'er Sheba. So it's in the southern part of Israel. We lived in a little town near there called Omer. And our, a lot of our ministry there was to just hold up the hands of the Messianic believers and help them do whatever they did. Because we knew we might get thrown out of the country, but they weren't going to get thrown out. They were going to be there, and we wanted to build them up and strengthen them. And we had the privilege for a number of years to be connected to Mariana's ministry in Israel. Her ministry now is, is 10 years old, but we watched it go from a very tiny seed to now a thriving ministry in Israel. There's a theme in Scripture uh, that talks about how Israel will be judged by God according to the way that they deal with the widow, the orphan, and the stranger in the land. So mercy is very heavy on the heart of the Lord, and he expects that kind of behavior, mercy behavior from his people. And Mariana has a mercy ministry in Israel. She'll probably tell you a little bit about that. But what I want to say mostly about my friend Mariana is that I know how she lives her life. I know the integrity, I know the honesty, I know how much she loves the Lord, I know how she weeps over the, the things that break the Lord's heart, and so I can introduce her to you and, and bring her before you saying, this is a woman of integrity and great authority who moves in the prophetic. And one last thing, and that is, even though she's at least 15 years younger than me, Israel is our big sister, our big brother in the Lord. And so they bring something with them that we Gentile believers need. So I ask you to posture yourselves in a place of receiving and asking the Lord, what is it that, that you have brought to me today, Lord, through your servant, Mariana, because I want to receive it. So. Shalom. <laughs> uh, thank you so very much, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Brian, elders of Maranatha, Maranatha community. Thank you for giving me this amazing opportunity to share the burden of my heart, hopefully God's heart, with you this morning. Uh, thank you. And um, uh, thank you, Stephen Marianne, for inviting me uh, to come to this, this land to speak uh, here to minister God's love here. Thank you so much for what you're doing on um, Israel's behalf in this nation. Thank you. There are no small things. God is not counting numbers. We are head counters. He's not a head counter. The king of the universe was fine with 12 people. So um, we, sh we should be fine too with whatever we can do as long as we follow his leadership. Um, praise the Lord. When we were worshiping, I saw, I saw a picture in the spirit uh, that I believe is for this, this church. I saw a large pile of weapons, and there were all kinds of weapons there. There were some modern weapons, and there were some weird things in there too. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I've heard the Lord say, say repeatedly, come pick up your weapon, come pick up your weapon, come pick up, pick up your weapon. So uh, I believe that our we weapons are different for each and every one of us. Like David with his five small, smooth rocks, sometimes they kind of seem a little ridiculous. 
uh, like, uh, you know, you're not going to throw little rocks into tanks or something, but uh, whatever weapon God is giving us, he's also training us for, to use this weapon. So if there, any of you feel like you laid your weapon down, you don't feel like you are on call, on high alert, uh, you don't feel completely fully recruited this day, or if you just don't, don't know what your weapon is, I encourage you to spend time and ask the Lord. I think the body of Messiah has been uh, slightly brainwashed by pacifism and uh, humanism in the last couple of decades. And we laid down our weapons because it feels almost inappropriate to talk about the army aspect of the body. And yet we are. So if your weapon is down, go pick up your weapon, pick up your weapon, pick up your weapon. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Yeshua. Um, a couple of years ago, we had an event in Beersheba where uh, we invited Australian and New Zealand leaders and intercessors to come to Beersheba to celebrate with us 100-year anniversary of the liberation of Beersheba from Osman Empire. It is kind of strange to think that God used Australians and New Zealanders for that breakthrough in Israel 100 years ago, but he did. And we had amazing people gather together with us, and it's a whole different story. I'm not going to go into it now. But one of them was a Maori chief who is also a leader of a YOM base in New Zealand. Uh, he came and he brought me a gift. And um, I, th I, I said to him, well, it's a spear. It looked to me like a spear. I'm not very good at this kind of thing. But um, he, uh, he said, no, it's not a spear. It's a club. Um, and uh, it, he said that everybody he knew around him in his circle, he was, for several months, he was moving it around when he knew that he's going to be coming to Beersheba. And he was asking believers to hold on to that club and tell the club the stories of breakthrough. And he, in their lives. So he came and he gave me this breakthrough weapon. And he said that in a Maori culture, they don't have weapons that you release. You, they only have weapons that you're supposed to hold on to. And he said this is the nature of most of our spiritual weapons. Of course, we have arrows, but the bow is with us. We're not throwing it away with the arrow. Uh, we hold on to our weapons. So that is a little addition to the pick up your weapon, pick up your weapon theme. Now I'm going to move to a different thing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I was born and raised in St. Petersburg, Russia. I moved to Israel when I was 24 years old because the Lord called me. I was a relatively new believer back then, but the wonderful benefit of being 24 is that you feel like you know everything. <laughs> and you're not really afraid. Kind of the world is your oyster and you just know things. If I had to do that today, that would have been a whole different story. So I just, I said goodbye to my family, my friends, the ministry that the Lord was raising me in back then, and I moved to, uh, to Israel. Uh, it was the hardest, the most important, the uh, most wonderful thing that happened to me. And I'm standing before you. I do have a message, but even if I didn't have a message, I'm mainly standing before you as a sign of times. Um, I, know, I know what the Lord has done in my life. I know that I was not planning to move. I wasn't even thinking about it. He spoke to me uh, in power. And to me and to millions of others, because he has brought Israel back to the land of Israel in our time, in front of our eyes. This is the times we live in. Two, for 2,000 years, my family lived in uh, exile, most of that time in Northern Europe and Eastern Europe. And you see, you take a Jewish girl to Eastern Europe for 2,000 years, and this is what comes in. 
<laughs> yes. But uh, he, he's bringing us back. Yes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And, and this is the most important uh, message I have in the nations. He said in uh, Ezekiel 39, I will bring them back from the lands to which I exiled them, and I will hide my face from them no more. And we are living in the middle of these two sentences right now. This is the season. He brought us back from the land to which he exiled us. And I believe that he is not going to hide his face from us anymore. That we live in a different season, in a different time, and we're all going to be amazed. That's what I believe. Uh, when I was, uh, I grew up in a very secular family. The issue of Jewishness was kind of a philosophical issue. Both of my parents are Jewish. They made it a point to marry a Jewish spouse, although they wouldn't be able to articulate why. Um, and no, there was zero observances in my home. Uh, like my grandmother was known for going to the synagogue uh, around Passover time. That's when they uh, distributed free matzah. And she would get a big box of matzah, come home and make matzah ham sandwiches. So that, that was the extent. <laughs> yes, they were yummy. So. <laughs> uh, so when I, when I was four years old, I came back from kindergarten, and I said to my mom, Mom, who are the Jews, and where can I see one? And she took me to the mirror, and she kind of stood behind me, and she said, it's you and me and Daddy, and actually everybody in the family, we are the Jews. I got super excited. I went back to the kindergarten, and being sort of a natural-born leader, I've recruited all the kids in the kindergarten to be Jewish. So <laughs> some of the parents were a little bit upset about that development because, uh, you know, there was still quite a bit of anti-Semitism in Russia, and there still is. Um, but uh, jokes aside, who are the Jews and what does it mean to us uh, is a big question. Uh, you know, we all struggle with our identities probably till the day we die. It's like the biggest thing for humanity. Who am I? How do I fit in the big picture? Where is my place? Uh, if you have troubled, pressured, persecuted, hurt, abused identity, you struggle even more. And then you add the messianic aspect and it's like... So it's sort of like, what, what am I? How, how can I be what God is calling me to be? It's a big, big question. And, um, and I, I'm not there. Like, if you will say to me, who are the Jews? I know the biblical answer. I don't know the cultural answer. And probably we have, like, many different families in the fabric of our community that would say, you know, Jews are this or Jews are that. And we'll have strong opinions. But even in the time of Yeshua, the fabric of the society in Israel was not uniformist. It was not all the same. It was not homogenous. So the variety only becomes animosity because of brokenness. The moment you're healed, you celebrate diversity. And the society of Israel being the model of the families of the world, we, we are diverse. And there are all kinds of Jews. But one thing we all have in common is that we were created and chosen to be a serving nation. It got confused. It got moved off the page. We did not succeed in that. But you know, like how in the in the scriptures and in in uh, in our faith, a lot of things are both this and the opposite of this. You know what I mean? Like God is a judge, and He's full of mercy. Uh, I am completely saved, totally purified seated with him in heaven, and I sin every other minute. I'm like, things are this and that at the same time. And us as human beings, we hate it. Because it sort of pulls us apart. We want to be in perfect rest. 
And we're not designed for perfect rest. We're designed to be, to feel this tension inside of us. So everything is this and that. And I actually believe that it's all the matter of perspective and how tiny we are. It's like, I'm sure for a bug, life is full of controversy. It's like this and that is like all way on the other end. For the, a ginormous God, these things are not on the other ends, on the opposite ends. They're actually quite close together. Uh, for us, they are. So this Israel being chosen to be a serving nation, we can say, well, we failed. But on the other hand, Yeshua embodied Israel. So yes, we succeeded completely, 100%. So we 100% failed and 100% succeeded as being the serving nation. Uh, we were chosen uh, for a purpose. And this purpose has been very clear from the beginning. Uh, like um, Genesis 17, 1, 6, um, God is blessing Abraham and he says to him, you will be the father of many nations. So when Paul says, oh, you're all now children of Abraham, he's not inventing new theology. It's like the original message. He just sort of hooks it all back up to the book of Genesis. Um, nations are children of Abraham. Not every nation. We know actually some nations are the physical children of Abraham, according to the Bible. Uh, believers, all believers, are children of Abraham. And they brought into commonwealth of Israel. Commonwealth of Israel is a little bit of a strange term, right? Like, I, I wish I could just tell you, you know, we're all Israel. But then, then there was a lot of confusion, because I heard believers who were walking around saying this, in Israel saying, this land is mine, I'm a believer, this land is mine doesn't seem that way through the scriptures, or making certain claims that are not necessarily released by the fact that every believer in the world is part of the commonwealth of Israel. And this is pretty much what I want to talk about today. Uh, Israel, Jewish people, we are the people of the covenant, uh, the original covenant, uh, and um, every other covenant. We're the people that were chosen to be a serving group of people, and this is, this is how the picture that the Lord is giving me to use a lot. I have a ministry in Israel, like Marianne had uh, shared with you. It's called Streams in the Desert. I work with the underprivileged families in the south of Israel. One of the most beautiful and the hardest thing we do every year, we do this uh, camp for underprivileged teenagers. Um, it's great, great fun. And it's very, very hard. There are some people here who've been at that, that camp. Uh, and at the camp, I'm not doing it, of course, alone. I have an amazing team. They are my people. I train them. I love them. Right now, we actually have an, uh, a next, the next step of the team. Most of our team has been homegrown. I've known those kids since they were 11 years old, uh, 10, 11 years old. Now they're young adults. They are on fire for the Lord. They, we minister together. There is like no higher high as to minister with the people you raised in the spirit. It's amazing. And it, this is the first generation that I get to see. And I am very far from retiring, so I'm probably going to see many more. Hallelujah. It's amazing. They are my people. I love them. I sh I, uh, they're my community. There's hardly anything I wouldn't do for them. I uh, absolutely love them. When we're at camp, uh, you will see me spending a lot of time with them. I make sure they eat, they sleep, they don't fight. I ask them, how are they doing? I sit down, you know, by the pool, and I was like, are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? So you see me do spending a lot of time with the team and with the volunteers that come. And if you look from the outside, you would say, here, Mariana, Mariana wants her team. The team is the purpose, and it's wrong, because the kids are the purpose. They are probably the most important children on the face of the earth. They're the second, most of them are second generation of messianic 
uh, faith in the land of Israel. They are the plantation of righteousness that the Lord has promised. They are the restoration of Israel in front of our own eyes. They are little lion cubs. And when lion cubs are small, almost everything in the nature can kill them. When they grow up, there is no natural predator that could compare to them. So now when they're small, it's my purpose, it's my passion, it's the desire of my heart to make sure we get together believers who would stand guard over them, make sure they grow to the fullness of their maturity. And I say to them all the time, I say the anointing that God is releasing on your lives is not like the anointing I have on my life. Your floor is my ceiling. But to, for them to reach that age of maturity, the whole of armies of hell are chasing them down. And we need to rally up. We need to make sure that generation of Israel reaches the fullness of their maturity. I'm after the kids. I'm not after my team. But without the team, I cannot reach them. The only way I can reach them is that I have a team. Israel is God's team. We're confusing election with exclusivity. There's no exclusivity in the life, love of God. Moreover, from the very beginning, from the book of Genesis, God is very clear. He wants the nations. Israel is not the final goal. The team is not the final goal. You, the nations, you people in this room, you are his final goal. The only reason he chose us is to be a servant nation, to be his team, to work with him, to bring forth the Messiah, to guard the word of God so it could be delivered to you. He brought us up for you because he wants the nations. He says the earth is mine. From the beginning, he says it's too small for Yeshua, the king of the Jews, to just be the king of the Jews. He wants him to be the king of everybody. In Exodus, when he brings out the nation of Israel, this is the time from, when from a family and a tribe we're becoming a nation. He says, you will be my people of priests if you keep my word, for the earth is mine. That's the purpose, for the whole earth to be his. That's the reason why he needs a nation of priests. With the blessing comes responsibility. Because I know the feeling, you know, like um, um, I come from a quite broken family background, so I had a lot of rejection issues I need to fight. For many, many years when people were saying to me, God loves everybody, to my heart it meant he loves nobody. Uh, if I am not... Uh, if I'm not chosen, if I'm not uh, pulled out of the big mass, if I'm part of this everybody that God loves, not enough. I need to be preferred. And this is human nature. So when we see how God says, this, these are my team, I prefer them. I love them with the everlasting love. It's never going to change. I'm always going to focus on them. They are my team. The rest of us go, what? What are we? Chopped liver? Like, seriously, what, what are we? And we forget that this, this election comes with responsibility because everybody wants Israel's blessings. Nobody, nobody wants Israel's punishment. The Lord says that the judgment be it begins with the house of the Lord. You only, he says uh, to, to, to children of Israel, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Oh, nobody wants to appropriate that particular line to themselves. So we look at Israel and we say, okay, they, are so, they elected, we want the election. The election comes as a package deal. And actually, whether you want it or not, as part of the engrafting, you get the package deal. <laughs> there is a very interesting teaching in Paul's writings. And uh, for many, many years, uh, I was walking with the Lord. I was going to churches. I heard many, many teachings using those verses. And I didn't actually understand what it means. 
and I understood it only in light of certain events, which I will share the story with you uh, later. Uh, and this is the teaching of Paul's about the mystery of God. Paul is actually very, very systematic in his vocabulary. Like there are certain expressions he uses, and if you will do your own personal Bible study, and you will study those expressions over and over again, they mean the same thing. So whenever Paul says mystery of God, it means the same thing. And this is, uh, it's used in the scripture 21 times, 19 times it's, it's the same meaning. Two times it's a different meaning just to confuse us and keep us on our toes. So, uh, Colossians 1, 24, 27. He says, I now rejoice in my suffering for you. That's a strong statement. But it only gets stronger. And fill up my flesh, uh, in my flesh, what is lacking in the afflictions of Messiah for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the scripture from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So he says something that I wish I would never, ever have to say. He says, in my own body, I'm completing what Yeshua didn't suffer. Like, oh my gosh, like, wait, what didn't he suffer? And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm rejoicing. Because and I'm, suffer, I'm doing it for you, the church, the Colossians, um, uh, fulfill the, to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generation, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of glory of this mystery among Gentiles. Which is, here's the mystery, Messiah in you, the hope of glory. And it's not generic. It's not the Messiah in all of you people. He is speaking to a Gentile church. And he says to them, when I look at you Gentiles, and I see that my Messiah, the King of the Jews, is in you, it gives me a sure sign for the hope of glory. The hope of glory is yet another expression that Paul uses continuously, and it means resurrection from the dead. So he says, I look at you, I see the Jewish Messiah living in you the same way he lives in me. I know the resurrection from the dead is coming soon. That's what I know. And he says, this is the mystery. The mystery that the prophet spoke about, the mystery that was hidden in the scripture. Nobody understood what it means. I see it with my own eyes. And it was blowing his mind. It was so radical to him. How could it even, even be? In Ephesians 3, 1 to 7, uh, Ephesians 3, 1 to 7. And I will only read little part, parts of it. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Messiah Yeshua, for you Gentiles, if you haven't heard of the dispensation of grace that was given to me for you, which he says, I taught about it already briefly, because this whole dispensation of grace, this gift of grace was given to me, my portion, so that I can make known the mystery to you. And I've already taught about it a little bit. Uh, I shared my knowledge of the mystery of Messiah, which is, uh, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles, the nations, should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Messiah through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God. Um, so he says, again, the same thing. I've spoken a little bit about the mystery, but the mystery is that you and I are now partakers. We both will inherit the promises, the kingdom. We are heirs in, the, in, in that in that promise, that is the mystery. The mystery is not how strong I can get or how Christ can live in my heart. These are all beautiful, important things. But when Paul says mystery of the Messiah, he means Jew and Gentile together in the kingdom. That's what it means to him. And there are 19 
places of, of that. You can, I encourage you, please, please, please do your own Bible studies. I've been known to be wrong on occasion. So don't just swallow food up. Chew it. Look at it. Just do your own Bible study. See mystery of God or mystery of Christ. See what the scriptures say about that. Uh, in John 10, four, uh, 14, 15, the Lord speaks himself, and he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking to the Jews. Everybody in that group of people that this is addressed to are his disciples. They are all Jewish. He's talking to them, and he says, you are my flock. You know my voice. You know me the same way the Father knows me. I know you. You know me. This is all family business. But he says, I have other sheep that you don't know, and I must bring them. But he doesn't, it's kind of, it's kind of sounds a little crazy when you think about it. He's talking to this tiny little flock, and he says, I'm going to bring those multitudes of nations, those other sheep that you don't know, I will going to bring them to you, into your tiny little pen. And we will be one flock and one shepherd. The logical thing would be, I'm going to take them out, and there... They're going to be one flock and one shepherd. He says, no, the one flock will be here with you, Israel. This is going to be one flock. And this tiny little pan with its little culture and this little family, and sometimes we're so exclusive, that pan. I'm going to bring them all in. And it is kind of crazy. And I know you know this. So I'm not like discovering new planets for you here. I'm just encouraging your hearts. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31, 33. Everybody who is in Jewish evangelism knows these verses by heart. Jeremiah 31, 31, 33. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So here he says, I make a new covenant with Israel and the house of Judah. That's the new covenant. How many times have I heard that the old covenant is for the Jews, the new covenant is for the Gentiles? This is just the, things, the way things are. And the new covenant is better. And the old covenant is hard, and the hard one is for the Jews, but the good one, the covenant of grace, is for the Gentiles. No. He says, I'm making new covenant with Israel and with the, house, with the people of Judah. And he says, it's not like the old covenant. Uh, many, many, many times again, I've heard from very, very bright and spiritual people that the new covenant is just a commentary on the old covenant, and yet Jeremiah prophesies and he says it's not like the old covenant. It's different. It's not just a commentary. It's not just an appendix. It is a different covenant. And he says the reason for this covenant is that the old covenant, the original covenant, your fathers have broken. Therefore, I'm going to make a different covenant with you. So this is God's answer to the falling short of my people. This is God's answer to our sin, to our blindness, to our pride, to our inability to be the servant nation and the light of the world. This is his answer. Not rejection, not putting us aside, not bringing other people forward. This is his answer. He said the original covenant you have broken. So this is a new covenant, a better covenant, a stronger covenant that you won't be able to break. This is God's answer to the falling of Israel, not the rejection, not putting away, not bringing other people forward. That is his answer.
And he says the nature of that covenant would be that he is going to live inside of us. He said, you're not able to keep a covenant where I'm outside of you because you need every help you could possibly get. And it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. But another thing that is amazing to me is the only way all of you sitting here today and all of the people worshiping in big cathedrals all over the world, in all of small house churches, wherever they can be found, the only way you can be part of the new covenant is if you're part of Israel and the people of Jacob. And the only way you can be part of Israel and the people of Jacob, because this is not in your blood, in your natural blood, is the engrafting into the commonwealth of Israel. That's the only way. So I always say that some little anti-Semitic lady somewhere in Poland who goes to church faithfully every Sunday, she's commonwealth of Israel, and she has no idea. And if she had idea, she would probably be very upset. But this is the only way. The only way. Yes, Martina agrees with me. <laughs> For the Polish ladies. We are Commonwealth of Israel. We're sitting here together. We've been brought together by an amazing work of the cross. Yeshua broke the wall of partition. Not any kind of animosity that is spoken about in those verses. We use it for any form of reconciliation. It's not entirely true. He brought the, broke the wall of partition in his body between Jew and Gentile. He, made, he created a new entity. He created the kingdom that consists of Jew and Gentile worshiping together as a new commonwealth of Israel. We have the model of that in Ruth. We had many stories in the Bible that show how it could happen. They're like those little models, little foretastes, but the actual work of the cross made us one. And I know I, I, I he, uh, hear very often when people say to me, you know, Mariana, it's all right and good, but in our church we're called to minister to Turkey, or we love Zimbabwe. And it's kind of like if we love Zimbabwe, we can't really love Israel. This is absolutely different matters. It's different subject because blood is thicker than water. And it's the same thing, like when someone would say, I love my wife, but the neighbor's wife is great too. It's not the same thing. Not the same thing. We are family. We're family. Blood of Yeshua made us family. It's thicker than water. And from that place of family, we can minister to Zimbabwe, we can go to Turkey, we can go to Muslims all over the world, we can go into deepest, darkest pits of hell as a family, a commonwealth of Israel, a kingdom, knowing that the day is coming and it's coming soon when the king of Israel will actually set his feet in Israel, in Jerusalem, in an actual place, in an actual city, at an actual time, and establish an actual kingdom of which we are citizens. From that place of belonging, this is our identity. Our identity is the kingdom. The kingdom that is Jew and Gentile together as one. I don't want to talk too long to you, but... Uh, uh, I have just a few more points to make. Um, uh, I want to tell you how I even started researching this topic deeper, because I um, I've, I knew I had a teaching about um, the mystery of God from a very amazing teacher who is now uh, already with the Lord. Uh, his name was uh, was Father Peter Hawken. He was a Catholic priest. And he was a born-again, on-fire-for-the-Lord, charismatic Catholic priest who taught this Jewish girl how to be Jewish. <laughs> yeah, well, 
the, the kingdom is amazing. But I didn't really understand, understand until one moment that actually happened here in Jacksonville. I was uh, uh, host, uh, hosted here in Jacksonville. We, we had a little conference. And I was preparing a talk that was titled um, Interpreting the Signs of Times. And I was very good and systema systematic about it. I had a piece of paper in front of me. It was divided in two columns. Here I had Israel. Here I had church. Or nations, I don't, probably nations. And I was writing down things that are important in the last hundred and plus years for the kingdom, that is the developments that we need to watch as signs of times. And in the side that said uh, Israel, there was um, the Zionist conference in, uh, in Europe, there was the Zionist movement in general, then the um, est uh, establishing of the state of Israel, the, uh, actually the restoration of the Messianic movement, first Messianic congregation in Kishinev, so on and so on and so on, and then the Messianic movement in America, hugely important development, and then uh, retaking of Jerusalem, massive. And then uh, the modern state of Israel, what's happening there, so this was Israel. And then on the other side, there were nations. And I, as I was praying through that, I started, I put, uh, the first thing I put in there was Azusa Street Revival. Uh, and I suppose most of you know what Azusa Street Revival is, right? Can I have a show of hands if like, I need to talk about it? Maybe a little bit. Um, I'm a mercy ministry person, so I absolutely love, 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 love when, the lo when God goes to the margins of the society and brings them all the way to the center. And he loves doing it and he's doing it through the, all the way through the Bible and he did it in Azusa, uh, in Azusa Revival in Los Angeles, a small little African-American church, people that were very well on the margins of the society meeting in this little community and all of a sudden the Spirit of God fell upon them and they started prophesying and speaking in strange tongues and uh, healings, where there were gift of healings. Actually, fire department was called to their meeting once because people on the street saw fire on top of the building. Um, one of the first thing that Azusa people have done, uh, it was like a couple of months past the breaking out of the revival, was establishing a Pentecostal mission to Palestine, which at that time meant Jews. So, no, no one laughs? Okay, whatever. <laughs> Uh, yes, and uh, uh, the big theologians wrote about it and talked about it, and they said, oh, no big deal, it's going to die out, nobody's listening to them anyway. It spread like wildfire. We're still living it. It changed our worship. It went across denominational lines. We pray differently. We live differently. We have the gifts of healing. We have the gifts of prophecy. We speak in, in angelic tongues. All of that became available to the body of Messiah again. And that became available because uh, so, so such hunger was in the body. And I was thinking about how profound, how it changed the face of the earth, this Azusa Street revival. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, look at the dates, the Hebrew dates of Azusa Street revival. And believe it or not, there is an app for it. So you can type in the Western date and the Hebrew date will pop up. And I typed up and I looked and I started weeping because Azusa Street revival broke out on a Passover Eve. And when I saw that, the Lord said, that's let's my people go. And he said, these two columns you have on your page, it's nonsense. There are no two histories. There are no two paths. There are no two paths that somewhere in eternity are going to merge. No, on the cross, then the wall of partition was de demolished. One new nation was created for the kingdom. We are that one new nation. He bought us with his blood. We are the new people, the one new man. We're sitting here in this room. That is the victory of the cross. There are no two histories, no two shames, no two pains no two glories, none of that. 
It lets my people go for all of us across the body. The Azusa Street Revival broke out because Jews need signs and wonders. And without Azusa Street, there would not have been the coming of the Messianic Kingdom because Jews need signs and wonders. You could not get us into the churches to just sit in the pews. We need to see the Almighty God's hand moving to move us to jealousy. Like just observances don't move us to jealousy we have plenty of observances of our own so that is let my people go and it started a new season a new mighty season for the kingdom for you and I for all of us together we are now living in a times when this kingdom is about to become visible to all it's coming soon Maranatha. it's probably coming much sooner than we think Maranatha. We have pretty much the last call to jump on the prophetic train. Because when it's visible for all, it's not prophetic anymore. It's just truth. I am calling all of you to consider this fellowship of mystery that was created on the cross and Paul taught about. Jew and Gentile together as one body, as one nation, as one people. And you would say to me, Mariana, but it's just semantics, you know, like, uh, if, are we one with you or we just love and minister to you? Like, really, like, what's the difference does it make? It makes a huge difference because it's about our identity. It's about how we pray. It's no longer them and us. It's us. It's about how we have compassion. If you really, really believe that I'm your family, you're not going to say, oh, God is going to cream Israel, but everything is going to turn out just fine in 10 years or so. Uh, it's not just going to happen. My pain will be your pain. And when the judgment is coming to my people, you'll be on your faces, wailing and crying and asking for mercy. I will not sit at home and say, well, American church is just asleep. They're just asleep. God had moved from the West to, the, to Africa and to the East. They're just, all right, this is what's happening. I would be wailing and crying for you and for your people and for your brothers and sisters and for your nation if we will believe really, truly that we are one flock. It will change the way we live. And this is what I'm inviting you to consider today. One flock, one kingdom, one shepherd, one nation for the future glory, for the times when his kingdom is going to be so visible and so marvelous and so exciting. Maranatha. So the team's assembling. They're going to lead us in worship to close out our time. I don't think a person, I don't think a person could put more into a message in that short of time <laughs> as you just did. I think there is uh, such a need to say la on that. <laughs> you know, um, I am going to. Uh, go home and do the things I have to do this afternoon, and then I'm going to listen to that message again. <laughs> because that, that resonates so deeply with so many things in my heart. I, I don't think that could, you know, I'm like a gushing fan boy right here saying this, but I, I don't think you could say that any better than what you just said. Or, or speak to what, speak to the, to the need and the nature of, of, um, uh, of the one, of this one man reality, this one new man reality, that we have to be willing to enter into fellowship and family in a way that we would be connected and we'd be willing to weep. Um, a friend of mine said recently, a mentor said to him, never place yourself under the authority of a person that won't weep over your mistakes. Right? And so I love 
the fellowship that we have with our family. It's, it, is, it isn't something I do because it's cool to say I get to do things in Israel. It's because I believe this is a familial commitment. And I will weep. I will be on my face. And I love the idea that you're on your face for us. This is the reality. This is the one. It's not two flocks. It's not two kingdoms. It's one commonwealth. And so, um, there are so many ways in which I could push that out and say, um, respond. I, don't, I really don't know how specifically. I, I think I want to trust in this moment to, for Deep to reach out to Deep. And, and I'm going to ask you to stand. One of the things that might need to hit your heart is the idea of being fully reconciled, being fully flooded by the significance of the blood of Yeshua on the cross that you would be able to relate to anybody. There'd be no need to, to fight for your identity so that you might be able to be an equal to somebody, that you are made all you need to be made into by his blood on the cross. And that would allow you to minister to whoever and wherever. There is no... We are The blood is thicker than water, but it does free us up to go anywhere in the world together. Or maybe it's something that's just broken in you. Mariana just did a very deep teaching but she also carries a very deep burden to see broken people healed and I don't think she cares if we go off the script in terms of prayer and so if you have something that's going on in your life that you want prayer for it could be the bad back that we just prayed for although I'm believing your back's better (laughs) Um, it could be something else if you want to come forward and receive prayer come I'm going to ask Mariana to stay up here Avi if you want to minister to people this is this is your house too. Um, anybody else, uh, elder-wise, who wants to come forward and, and pray for people as they come? Uh, I'm going to pray and then just you come as you feel led. Jesus, what astounding words that must they must have been to those the church in Ephesus when there was a letter read that would have been a illegal that would have could have gotten them killed for a Caesar to hear it that said there is now one new man the wall of hostility the wall of the partition of separation has been broken what astounding words that must have been for both Jew and Gentile and Lord 2,000 years later we're still not really living into it and so we pray at least for our congregation this morning that you would release that that you would embed within us something like Thanksgiving in a desire to see our table filled. We love our brothers and sisters, our messianic brothers and sisters. And we call for a deeper burden, Lord, that we would weep for them as they weep for us. So come, Lord. You come forward as you feel led in Jesus' name. Because oh, we're the Spirit of the Lord.